and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and as always I'm joined by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. And we are here to talk all things Arsenal. Uh, it's been a busy week but before we get too bogged down by what's going on um, in and around Arsenal Football Club we have the small matter of our weekly commentary quiz. Now each week we both select a piece of commentary which we say to the other person with zero context and no emotion and the other person has to try and guess which goal we are talking about um Andre would you like to go first this week yeah for sure for sure you're still up by one uh last week was the closest I've got to gazumping you actually it was very close it was very close and uh I'm nervous because you 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 mentioned last week that you'd been doing a little bit of research (laughs) from uh watching something on Sky Sports so I'm hoping that uh, you don't catch me out with one today are you ready I am ready. Still life in the game, according to the referee. <laughs> and Burkamp, certainly life in him. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> uh, that is uh, Dennis Burkamp completing his majestic hat trick away at Leicester City in the ninety-seven, ninety-eight season. I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed. That was the most you've got one as well. The fact you got the next line. Don't tell me that's because you've written it down for what you had. <laughs> uh, no, that would that would be truly remarkable if I was actually leading with that one next. But uh, no, uh, it's just uh, it's just one that I, I just absolutely love, and it's 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 just Dennis Bergkamp at his absolute peak. And I think I've I've made no um, attempt to hide how much I love Dennis Bergkamp as a, as a man and as a footballer, and he was simply one of the greatest footballers I've ever had the privilege to to not only see on TV, but fortunate enough to see him many times live as well. So what a wonderful player and what a wonderful moment. Uh, soured only by the fact that we didn't actually win that game and we drew 3-3. So bit of a bit of a bittersweet one for us to take that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the only time I think ever, because match of the day as it was then, this actually links to match of the day twice. So it was on match of the day this week because it was that goal was in added time, hence still life in the game, according to the referee. And we still had time to go and concede, concede beautifully um, with a stupid header at the back post. It felt very arsenally, actually, watching that back. But also when match of the day was only three goals went forward for goal of the month, Bergkamp had all three (laughs) Uh, and they were all from that Leicester game because they were all outrageous. Uh, what a what a man! And it ends a truly high class hat trick from Dennis Bergkamp. Well, both sets of supporters not knowing quite what to feel. Still life in the game, according to the referee, and Bergkamp certainly life in him. A truly high class hat trick from Dennis Bergkamp. Excellent. Right. I'm ready. Okay. Are you sure you're ready? Oh, no. Yes, I am. I'm born ready. Born ready. Okay. The biggest of games, the biggest of names. Was that Henri against Man United in 2004? Not 2004, no. I can hear Martin Tyler shouting it. Yeah? <laughs> yeah? And it was Henri. <laughs> and was it, it was against Man United. <laughs> it was. Oh, was it uh, after his... No, no, no. We've done that, haven't we? 
No, have we? Was it was it the first year at the Emirates? It was the first year at the Emirates. <laughs> God, what a header. Very rare headed goal from Thierry Henry. Oh, Oh. It was, and to be fair, I, when I was preparing for this, I kind of forgot which ones I've done and which ones I haven't done. <laughs> and now that you say it, part of me thinks I might have done this one before. I don't know. I don't know if I did use it. I'm going to have to go back at some point and have a look. But either way, <laughs> we got there in the end. Yes, yes. I, I, uh, I had a feeling it was Thierry against Man U. I was just the wrong year. Yeah, great header. We have talked. I am so sure we've talked about this before. Um, so we'll just think about his dance with Adibayor, which was wonderful. Uh, contextually, that goal didn't mean a great lot, but beating Man U in the last minute will always be wonderful. It really, really will be, and that was just, just, just close enough to the big rivalry where it still meant something to beat Manchester United. I mean, it still, it always means something to beat Man United, but that was right on the back of the the rivalry with Arsene Wenger and Ferguson, and obviously Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira had left at that point, but it was still very much fresh in everyone's minds, and it was a huge moment, huge moment, and. Uh, the Emirates felt finally, as Henri said, felt like home after that, after a while. So that was uh, that was really good. But yeah, two wonderful goals as always. What a finish at the Emirates. Absolutely unbelievable. Well, he doesn't score many headers. And I often wonder why, when you see the quality of this one. Lovely build-up. They knocked the ball long, but they picked it up when it dropped off. And this is an unbelievably good cross. And Rio Ferdinand's just off him. Just by a yard or two. But watch and admire the quality of the header. Pass Van der Sar. In an instant, and it surely has given Arsenal a hugely unlikely victory. The biggest of games, the biggest of names. It's all right to flatten Ferguson. Right, so moving on to the football that we've been part of this week and it's it's been a busy week because the last time we recorded was just prior to the Leicester game in the League Cup so I guess we should start with that one um so against Leicester we obviously ended up 2-0 winners I was fairly fairly happy with the performance from Arsenal considering the amount of changes what about you Andre yeah I mean I have to say carabao.com what a website uh who knew (laughs) Who knew? My live game day pass. I looked into the future there. Um, I was pretty pleased. I was pretty pleased. I think um, it's really hard, actually, now we've had a second game. Because one of the things that stood out for me quite a bit in the Leicester game was uh, the fact David Luiz started and and the question marks whether he was going to start at Anfield. And also the performance of Nicola Pepe, um, which I felt I really wanted to see something where you saw a player trying to state his case for a starting berth at Anfield, and we didn't quite see that. Um, Leicester were much changed, and they don't have much of a squad. And I, I had a feeling all along we'd we'd win. Uh, I think the mo- one of the most pleasing things was Nketiah getting on the score sheet again. That was really excellent. Um, 
but I think the performance of Reese Nelson, especially in the first half, was was great as well. And that was sort of the takeaways from from those games. Um, I think it's safe to say we love the League Cup traditionally for a nice home tie against a, a League One or lower <laughs> ranked team and seeing our wonderful youngsters. Uh, it's going to be a slightly different edition uh, edict, if you like, this time around. What did you make of the the game and the performance? I think the first thing I want to say about um, any any fixture in the League Cup for us is that I am really, really desperate for Arsenal to win that competition. Not because it's particularly prestigious or anything like that, but I have been at three League Cup finals. I was there in 2007 when we lost to Chelsea. I was there in 2011 when we lost to Birmingham. And I was there when we lost to Manchester City a couple of years ago. And hmm. every single time, it, it, it just feels like that one that, that that trophy that's missing because Arsenal have only won the trophy twice before that in '93 against Sheffield Wednesday and in '87 against Liverpool, and obviously both of those one of them was in born for and another one I, I was too young to really recall what anything about it. So I would really love Arsenal to win it in my <laughs> in my lifetime just so I can go okay well I've seen Arsenal win the League Cup and it's something which seems to just pass us by and. Largely, that's because Arsenal treat the competition very much as an opportunity for fringe players and and youth players. But it is something that every year I kind of feel like, oh, I really, I really would love Arsenal to win it this year. But going on to the game, uh, I thought we had the better of the chances throughout the match. Obviously, Leicester did have a few occasions that, that worried us, particularly with uh, James Madison's effort that hit the inside of the post. But I thought we managed the game well. I thought it was a very professional job, particularly once we did go one nil up. Um, and then it was just nice to get the, the, the second goal to, to clinch it late on. And as you say, it was very nice for Nketiah to score. Um, but it's one of those ones it's very difficult to read too much into because of the amount of changes that Leicester made. And on paper, you looked at the two squads and thought, Arsenal certainly have the stronger squad on paper, which I think we spoke about Leicester um, via text after, after they beat Manchester City on the weekend and both said that, towards the end of the season is usually when they struggle because they simply don't have the squad to be able to to maintain any sort of challenge for for a period of time. Um, so it was nice to win, but as I say, very, very difficult to read too much into beyond it being a professional job. Yeah, yeah. And also it was um, one of those games that lacks a lot of emotion from my perspective. It was hard to get motivated either way because I personally saw a benefit to going out and not having a fixture this Thursday against Liverpool again. Um, having said that, if we beat Liverpool and the fact Spurs and Chelsea are playing each other in, in a couple of hours' time, it does open up quite quickly for you to be able to get to another final. And as you know, once we get to Wembley, we don't tend to lose uh, in more recent years after that horrific Birmingham loss. Oh, and Man City. Oh, this is a real cursed competition. I take it back. I take it back. Carabao. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think what I took from it as well was it was a good opportunity to get minutes in the legs as well, especially without a pre-season. And I expect we'll see much of the same team on, on Thursday. Uh, and I'm pretty hopeful, actually, that we'll progress on Thursday. Um, but yeah, just all in all, uh, did you, well, there was no option of crowd noise. Um, so hearing Brendan Rogers shouting, good boy, good boy for 90 minutes was, 
not that pleasant if I'm totally honest I don't um I I won't be uh, playing that audio back anytime soon and Dewsbury Hall sounds like a wonderful uh, artistic music venue um but also pretty, <laughs> pretty tidy midfielder in there wasn't he <laughs> He was a tidy midfielder in there, but I, I did, uh, same as you, I did think he sounds more like a location or a venue as opposed to a human being. <laughs> he doesn't, so, it's just not a, it's not a name you can shout, right? Dewsbury Hall! No, it's like, you can't hear, you're not going to get classic commentary at the start of this quiz with a name like Dewsbury Hall. You're also not going to probably get a, uh, a particularly good chant out of his name, although people are very creative, so I wouldn't write it off just yet. <laughs> Pass the ball to Dewsbury Hall. I think there's a, I think there's a chant in there somewhere. If I'm honest. <laughs> okay. If uh, any Leicester fans are listening, then uh, please uh, create a chant and prove us wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Featuring the words ball and hall. Um, but yes, I think uh, one of the things that we can sort of uh, segue nicely from here is that one of the things Madison warmed up for was uh, that Man City. Uh, goal he scored uh, he sort of did a <laughs> it was a carbon copy of the version v us um, and I have to say Leicester beating Man City uh, in the way they did gave me all sorts of misplaced confidence going into the Liverpool game as you know I was pretty confident we were going to actually get a result I don't really know upon reflection why that was. And actually all the signs were there that I was going to be disappointed. Um, so, yeah, just going on to the Liverpool game, what did you make of the starting 11 we had out there? That you know, And as well, I think it's, it's useful to not give me what you thought at the time, but having had some time to reflect as well what, what you think. Yeah, um, well, firstly, I think it's very important to to emphasise to our listeners just how confident you were, <laughs> because I had a number of texts throughout the day so, uh, suggest, suggesting that there was going to be a positive result. Um, so I, I I didn't quite buy into it. I kind of uh, felt like three one Liverpool was always going to be quite a likely score. Um, but having saw, seen the starting lineup, there were a few surprises in there. Uh, I was quite surprised not to see Gabriel start, but as we spoke about in the last podcast, we sort of said that maybe it's a case of taking him out of the firing line, or maybe it's just going with experience over uh, uh, over a new signing. So it wasn't as much as it was a bit of a shock. It wasn't that surprising that he wasn't in there. And the other big big um, surprise was El Nene starting ahead of Danny Ceballos, which I think. You could see why he did that because it worked so well in the Community Shield, uh, but unfortunately, we just we never quite got any sort of handle on the midfield, which is no shame in that because the the Liverpool midfield is is utterly phenomenal. Um, but I was a bit surprised that, and I did think we looked better when when Ceballos, um came on. Uh, having said that, we both said at the time how shocked we were that Xhaka came off instead of El Nene which maybe tells you something about the state of our midfield and how sort of comparable all three of those players kind of are. They're kind of interchangeable. So, yeah, that was kind of my initial thoughts on on, on the starting lineup and and my initial thoughts on the game as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be worth uh, looping back round to the fact Jacker went off in a game like this um, for Sabias and, and Sabias' subsequent impact. 
you would one would have been astonished, I think, if uh, Sabios started ahead of Xhaka. Uh, I think I expected to see Sabios next to Xhaka. Um, something else as well that sort of uh, I have to say breeded confidence is since we started this podcast, Arsenal have not lost a football match. So it was not unreasonable for me to have extra confidence based on the fact I knew we were recording today. So that particular run comes to an end. Maybe we'll just change the name of the podcast or something, see if that go on a similar run. Um, I think it's really interesting. I, I mean, I have to say, I upon reflection, I don't think you can knock the decision in... Uh, in how we played the back five. I thought Tierney didn't look fit, which we text about as well. And upon reflection, I would actually have liked to have seen Gabriel next, next to Louise, Louise uh, with, with Maitland-Niles outside of him. Uh, I would have been interested in that sort of more um, interesting defensive approach. But maybe Tierney was fit and maybe Salah roasting him was just more of a, a testament to, to to his quality as opposed to anything else. Um I was very disappointed, despite the performance against Leicester, which just alluded to, that Pepe didn't start. I feel like if he's not starting a counter-attacking performance away where he can devastate the opposition, and based on how well he's played in the two games in, in the FA Cup semi and the final, how well he's performed that role... I think it's really disappointing, to be honest, that he didn't he didn't play, and I'm I'm pretty concerned about that situation. And I know it, there's only been four games of this season. It's it is concerning uh, because we kind of all had, particularly after Pepe's performance in the FA Cup final, we kind of all had penned him in as okay, he's had his first season to settle in, and now now is his time to kick on and really show what we got for for the money we paid. And unfortunately, he just. From the, from the little we have seen of him um, so far, it, it, it looks more of the same, unfortunately, which obviously there's a lot of time for things to change. There's going to be lots of opportunities for him to to show what, what he is really capable of. And fingers crossed he, he can take any chances that he does get. But it, it, it does look a bit alarming that at the moment Arteta's faith is with Willian on that side as opposed to Pepe. Um, and... That doesn't really look like changing uh, imminently. I I'd expect Pepe to start on Thursday, um, so he'll get another opportunity to show what he can do then. But he really needs to. Be, I, I think he's a player that needs to kind of build his form and be be trusted again, because uh, at the moment he doesn't really seem to have that trust. No, no, and also you know if I'm being completely honest, I'm not really. I never like to coat a player off, but. Willian, for me, I don't think I've seen evidence in the West Ham game, nor his cameo, actually, which wasn't great against Leicester. Um, I haven't seen enough there to suggest to me that he should be starting ahead of Pepe based on if you took Arsenal's last six games we've seen. Pepe should be starting. You know, if you look at that Fulham game now with the benefit of hindsight, I know we were... Uh, evangelical about performance that day and he, he slotted straight in Willian and isn't it wonderful that we've got a player that can pick up our system straight away but Fulham looked like they could be set for one of the lowest ever points totals in the league especially when you're your director of football spouting absolute rubbish on Twitter uh, <laughs> I mean what are you doing can you imagine if uh, Raul Sanyehi before he left tweeted anything he'd have been massacred like, what are you doing? Anyway, separate point altogether. But, you know, I think we have to contextualise that Fulham game 
start of the season. Yes, it was wonderful. Yes, we may not even have won that the season before, just the way we played. But, you know, William played well, had a good debut. But I don't think we've seen anything from the last three games that says to me, no, uh, this guy can do the job. He's ready now. He plays instead of, you know, your £72 million you know, player who could be an absolute talisman because we, we don't look like scoring many goals either. And Pepe offers you something different and that devastation that we, we so lack in this team. Definitely. Um, sort of moving away from Pepe and, and uh, the, the starting eleven. Uh, when I was driving home from work to the, this evening, uh, I was listening to Talk Sport for foolishly and I managed five minutes before I switched off. And that was largely because they were talking about the game last night, obviously, and I couldn't believe the amount of crap they were talking about Arsenal and the amount of stick that we were getting for going to Liverpool, who are the champions, who have not lost at home in the league for three and a half years, who are arguably the best team in Europe. And we went up there and I thought, okay, at times, maybe the first half we were a bit too passive and gave them a bit too much respect. There's a case to be made for that. But realistically, I'm not sure what the squad of players we have are meant to go to Liverpool and do. And it really is frustrating me. And there was Arsenal fans phoning in and making the same point as Adrian Durham. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing, that so many people were so dissatisfied with what Mikel Arteta did. What What are they expecting him to be able to achieve? Um, in this short amount of time, compared to Jurgen Klopp, who's in his sixth season as Liverpool manager, I just I, it's it's left me absolutely baffled. Well, and furious about the, the the amount of rubbish stick that Arsenal get for something which most teams will go to Liverpool this year and lose. I'll be I'll be surprised if anyone goes up there and takes any points off them. Yeah, I mean, last season they beat seventeen of the eighteen teams. Nope, eighteen of the nineteen teams that went up there. So it's hardly a disgrace. Also, one of the things that I will take from this game, and again, going into it specifically, just to, 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 to agree with you almost entirely, is Liverpool were absolutely insane in the first 30 minutes. That was as good a team performance as I have seen. And I don't know how we ever went 1-0 up, but that is a testament to what those moves can be. And some of the criticism of our formation and how we played is absolutely ludicrous to me. The fact Arsenal played in and tried to produce such bra- such bravery on the pitch, it is so brave because uh, to play out from the back in the way we did. And we didn't once change from it. And that shows to me that they believe in his philosophy. And it led to a goal. Yes, it was a goal that you will not, <laughs> we will not score another goal like that this season. Um, and the fact we stayed in the game, and I don't think we ex- executed our game plan first half as well as we should have. You saw the difference it made in the second half. But I'm in total agreement. The fact Liverpool also have to be that good now and they're that worried about us tells you all you need to know. And one should be a lot more positive about how evangelical Klopp, Klopp was of A, his performance, if you saw his post-match, B, how complimentary he was of us. But C, Liverpool's players knew they had to be at the top of their game tonight to get a win. And they are by far the best team in the country. They will not really drop many points at all, home or away. I thought their level was going to slightly drop. Um, I think that's completely naive. And I'm astonished 
that people don't see the journey we're on and the trajectory because it's incredibly positive. Uh, and I'm astonished to hear that Arsenal, well, I say that, that we are, we do have some absolutely horrendous fans with some shocking opinions. The only comment I'll make is you could, you know, you could argue we should have gone a bit more positive earlier, but I don't think the game plan wasn't to not try and get out and get forward. I just think Liverpool pressed us within an inch of our life. Every time we got the ball in any position in our, our third of the pitch, Liverpool had us penned in and it took something really special at any time for us to get past that. Mm. Um, my, my brother texted me um, midway through the second half and said, what is with this danger ball Arsenal keep playing across the back line? Because there was a couple of times when uh, particularly Leno had the ball and then he played it out wide to either Tierney or to David Luiz. And it was worrying because the Liverpool attackers were literally inches away from getting on the end of it and, and, and nicking an easy goal. And I said to him, the whole the whole premise of what we're trying to do, and as, much, as frustrating as it is at times, is that we're trying to beat their press. But when a team is pressing you as well as Liverpool are, it, you're, the opportunities to beat their press are so few and far between that every time you do, you have to take your opportunities. And we spoke about that at half-time and said that, really going into the second half it had to kind of be well you go into the second half and you try and you try and nick a chance or two which we did we went into the second half and at 2-1 we had a great opportunity with Lacazette which we should have taken to make it 2-2 now I don't doubt for a second that had we equalised then I would have fancied Liverpool to raise their game and and turn it on and probably go and score again and win the game anyway but we had an opportunity to go to to get the, the game level and really start to worry Liverpool. But unfortunately, we didn't take that chance. But it's 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 such a game of fine margins because had we taken that chance and let's say we did end up drawing 2-2, everyone would be talking about what a fantastic tactical display it was from Arteta as opposed to some of the, the feedback we have got. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And, and just, it's really hard to not, you know, talk about this game and not really mention the Lacazette miss in the context of what it means. I think there's two areas to focus on here. Firstly, the way Ceballos cuts that open was outstanding, and he hasn't really been known for that. You know, for all his wonderful play, especially in Project Restart, he hasn't really shown he's got that in the locker. And that pass was Ozilian and Fabregas-esque, if you like to use some wonderful play on from their names. Um that was outstanding and you know there's a little bit made of the Lacazette chance just beforehand and Neville in commentary said you know finish it properly I don't know Lacazette I would have fancied him actually to score that I think Allison's a great keeper but I think you've got to hit that early take it early or if you stand Allison up like that see if you can square it because I think there was a pass on to Aubameyang for us for an easy tap in but He'd have to have spotted something special. And uh, the thing that got me about that chance and, and that moment was that that was the first time I felt we really broke the press because of our midfield. And ultimately, this whole game, for me, just exacerbates the fact that we don't have a very good central midfield. And not only that, we actually have two in there competing against three more often than not. You know, most Premier League teams are playing three in the middle of the park. And you, you you posted a well you sent me a tweet from Daniel Story 
who put, you know, the brutal reality is Liverpool's fifth best central midfielder would probably be our best. And it's completely true. We went into a game at Anfield with El Nenny, who you and I in our first ever podcast would sell for £6 million. (laughs) (laughs) Let's face it. We would, and I still would, by the way. Yeah, I still would. (laughs) And Granite Xhaka, who, you know, we like, but when a team is pressing you like mad, he's not the player you want in there. I think that's why he went off. You know, El Nenny, for for everything we just said, he is probably a little bit better under pressure, but I think that's because he gets in more um, conservative positions. Um, You know, I don't think Xhaka got a single arcing pass out to the, the left. But when you go into battle with your midfield in that way and you have a chance as glorious as Lacazette, I think you've got to go, wow, that is how far we've come. Because the 3-1 at Anfield last year was nothing like that. And we haven't done that well against at Anfield for a long time. So I saw signs of recovery. I still saw huge fundamental flaws in this team as well. And they were ruthlessly exposed, it felt. Yeah, and I think we're going to continue to see those fundamental flaws uh, in our team until there are personnel changes. Um, I look at players like Rob Holding, I look at players like uh, El Nene and to a lesser extent Granite Xhaka and until those players are replaced with better players who are more suited to the system that Arteta wants to play, uh, it's going to be very, very hard for us to progress past a certain point, which is what makes the next four or five days in the transfer window, so, so important for the, the progression of this Arsenal side because we really, really, really need to get some creativity uh, into our midfield. Otherwise, it, it could well be a really long season. Yeah, for sure. And and my reflection on yesterday was actually it's two midfielders. If we want to achieve... Top four is there for the taking this season. If Arsenal can, and I don't think they can offload the players they need to offload and can bring in party and Uar. Uar. Uh, we could achieve uh, an incredible season. You know, second place is there for the taking. N- not, I'm not <laughs> saying if we get those two players in who have never played a game for us or in the Premier League, it's, you know, a done deal. But I think we could come, you know, I think the top four is completely up for grabs. I think first place to be honest with you, we've seen three games and making, a, you know, you look a fool if you make predictions, but Liverpool just look a class above absolutely everyone else. City getting ripped ripped apart for five and you suddenly go, wow, well, then everything's, you know, up for grabs. Ultimately, the fact we still haven't sold a single player to me is unbelievable. You know, it is, it, it is unbelievable. But at the same time, I think that is very telling of a situation that we are in as a club because mm-hmm. it's players who have a really, really poor reputation because they're simply not good enough for this level and players that are probably on way too high a salary for what their ability is. And they are naturally going to be reluctant to give up that salary to go and play football elsewhere. So as much as I completely agree, it's it's, it's shocking and, and ridiculous that we're in this situation. Um, it's, it's also quite understandable given those two sets of circumstances. Yeah, would you say I'm completely naive when I look at uh, Fulham, to use an example we talked about earlier, look at what they'd probably how little they'd need to pay for Socrates, Mustafi, Kalasinac. 
that would actually improve them. I mean, I don't know whether I'm losing my mind with these things. Um, when I just look at the simplicity of it, perhaps, you know, perhaps I've played too much FIFA and football manager my whole life. Um, but I just look at that and I go, surely there's an agreement to be made with some of these clubs. You know, uh, uh, how has Socrates not gone to Napoli yet? But also what sort of is incredible to me is if the rumoured deals all go ahead, our squad will flip in five days and we've got a game in the middle of that. It's just utterly barbaric isn't it (laughs) never in my life did I think I'd see something like this where we have when's the window close is it the fourth or the fifth Uh, it's it's Monday 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 so we've got six days as we as we are recording and we need to get rid of at least six players (laughs) and bring in hopefully two or three Uh, I just can't see it at this stage you know I can't see Kolasinac going and actually you know do we need the backup maybe we do we don't have a, a backup left back uh, unless Maitland-Niles is there. It's so complicated. Guendouzi, Ozil, Torreira. You know, Torreira, OK, Torreira looks like he's the only one that's sort of out and he's going to Atletico Madrid. Um, but the rest of them, you know, they could all still be here. And that is so concerning for what we want to do this season. It really is. Um, I, t- I don't know what to make of it. I really don't. Because, like you said, there's so much business, both ins and outs, that needs to be done to balance our squad. Um, I, I, it, it, it's at a point where all the things we need to get done, I don't think it's possible for us to get done. Um, and it's really important that we do get a few players out, but we have to get players in as well. And I think that that's where it's going to be difficult because it's very, it's very obvious who our targets are. Um, I'm not so I, with so little time left. Is it really possible to have that many backup targets that haven't been uh, rumored at all? I think it's probably quite unlikely, but you never know. Um, so I think it is kind of a case of all or nothing with uh, Uar and and Partey. Mm. So we'll just have to wait and see. But it's it, it could be a very exciting couple of days, or it could be a, a couple really really disappointing. Uh, yeah. days ahead yeah. but we'll we'll just have to wait and see because it, it, as as we said after after Monday everything could change we could have a totally different squad we could have uh, be almost rebuilding again because we've got new players and old players gone um so yeah we'll just have to wait and see but this is Arsenal Football Club <laughs> I, I'm actually not going to let you get away with that that easily I want you to give me uh, I'm going to list some names and I want you to say which club you think they'll play for or, or, or in which country, if you're not willing to go for a club. Okay. Uh, uh, but by this time next week. Okay, I'm, I'm ready. You ready? Okay. Um, Socrates Pastapodopoulos. Uh, I do think he will go and I think he'll go to somewhere somewhere in Italy. Um, the only the only noise I've really heard has been Napoli. Um so I, I, I'm not necessarily convinced it'll be there, but I think he'll end up going somewhere in Italy. Skodran Mustafi. I, I don't think he will get rid of him. I don't. Th- I, 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 I just can't see where he's going to go. I know. I, I know he got linked with someone the other day. Who was that? Um. Oh, Lazio. Lazio, uh, potentially, but I, my, my gut says that he'll probably end up end up staying. Okay, Callum Chambers. Another one that I think will end up staying. <laughs> Kolasinac. 
another one that I think will end up staying. As much as I, I, I don't want him at the club at all, but I just, I, I, again, he, the, the noise that he's made has very much been about staying and fighting for his place. But he's one that could happen, and if he does, I think it will probably be going back to Germany. But Hart, Hart says he'd probably stay at the moment. Okay, uh, Reese Nelson. I've got a feeling he'll go on loan somewhere, and I think it'll be somewhere in England. Um, because at the moment, it looks like his first team opportunity is going to be quite restricted. So I would I would say probably on loan to someone like Crystal Palace or someone like that. Having said that, they're quite heavy in those sort of wide areas, having signed Eze. So maybe maybe that sort of calibre of, of team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Matteo Guendouzi. Jeez, I mean, the, the problem with that is that he's not been linked with anyone. He's not. There's, there's, there doesn't seem to be any concrete um, evidence, but I just think there's there's so little chance of him having a future Arsenal. I think he's one that we have to find a way of get, getting out. Um, and I think he's he wants to go. Um, in terms of a country, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think okay, probably Spain. Probably Spain. Okay, I'm going to give you a follow up question to this. If he stays at Arsenal, when do you think he will be included in a match day squad? Uh, if he stays at Arsenal beyond the transfer window, I, th- I I don't think it'll be that long after the international break because I think he needs. If he's at the club, you've got to use him. It, mm. it, 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 I, I think he's probably better than the players that are playing ahead of him at the moment. Mm-hmm. And and I do think he's a player that under Arteta, if he really got on board with what Arteta wants, I think he could be could be a fantastic player for him. But it's about his attitude more than anything else, evidently. So I, I don't think it'll be that long after the international break if he does stay. But I, I, I do think, I still think it is probably more likely at this stage that he will go than stay. But I think we're probably looking at a 60-40 sort of situation with him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have. I, I don't think he's going anywhere. And I, I mean, he can't not get in the squad. You know, he, he has yeah. to. I'd rather Gwendouzi was playing than El Nenny. You know, no question. Uh, especially, you know, the youngster with potential. And I thought it was going to be a great fit with Arteta. It's, it's, it, it, it's really sad, to be honest, the situation. But uh, talking of sad situations, let's talk about a player we've got. Um, we've got Ozil. Meza Ozil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you want to know about him? <laughs> uh, is he staying? Is he going? Oh, um, I, I just, I can't see how that one ends with him going anywhere. He just seems quite happy to sit out his contract now. So um, I think that would be a, a huge shock if he did end up anywhere, anywhere now. Okay. And same question for Gwendouzi. When does he make a match day squad? You know what? I, I I'm not convinced he does. Um, I I I think this will just rumble on because I think at, we're at a point now where if he doesn't, if he does return to the match day squad, then I think that's going to pose more questions than answers for for Mikel Arteta, and I don't think he's going to be weak enough to to do that. Mm. Um, so I I I I can easily see Ozil not playing another game for Arsenal. Interesting. See, I'm looking at the Europa League and I'm looking at some distances we may need to travel and I'm thinking 
I'd send Gwendozy and Ozil there as punishment. <laughs> Ukraine on a Thursday night in the freezing cold. Like, good luck, lads. Off you go. <laughs> Cheers. You're going to play three games this season. They're all away in the Europa League group stage and we'll never see you again. Um, yeah, and you're, and you're not starting. You're, you're playing 15 minutes at the end. Oh, oh my goodness. The disrespect. Uh, Arteta isn't even bothering travelling. <laughs> <laughs> he's not even sent his assistance. He's no. pulled in Steve Bold from the 18s. Not even. He's just let whoever's captain that day run the team. Um... <laughs> no, no, you're in charge. <laughs> yeah, go on, Mo. Uh, anyway, uh, Lucas Torreira. Uh, I think he's he's going as as, as we've uh, we've said, and it does look like he's going to end up at Atletico. Uh, but but I have I'm still not ruling out um, some of the Ita- Italian clubs that have uh, been courting him for so long. So okay. I, th- I think probably more likely he'll go to Atletico though. Okay, all right. So that's the outs. Unless there's anyone else I've missed that you 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 know I'm not going to ask you about Matt Macy, but uh... I'd be gutted if he, if he left. <laughs> um... <laughs> The only thing I would say about that, if he does go, we need another goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, Dejan Ilyev, I believe, can can step up. Um, uh, yes, but he was also on loan at Jagiellonia Bialystok um, in Poland last wow. season. I mean, um, so that's a big step up. I know he'd be number three, but I think uh, I'd be worried if he was called upon at any point because I don't think he's really, uh, from what I've read and what I've uh, what I've seen, I don't think he's really <laughs> shown that he's at the level, but. You never know. Nor Demi, nor Demi. You know, in fairness, very good point. Very good point. There very we go. Um, all right. And do you think we are going to get either one, uh, two of? You know, give me, give me who you think we'll get from this list. Zaha Uar party. Uh, I think the most likely one is probably uh, Uar, um, and I think he's the one that there's the most noise about. I think a lot of that is down to the fact that their that their owner is very their president is very vocal, not only on social media, but he's more than happy to do interviews to try and to push the price up. But I'm not I'm not an expert, obviously, on French football, but for, what I have read seems to suggest that Leon are are in need of money. So I think there is a deal to be to be done there, but I think so much depends on what money we can actually raise as a football club because I think there's only a, a certain point that we can go up to without selling players. Mm. So it's 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 kind of a waiting game and a domino effect. That once once one or two go, then I think the rest of it will kind of follow suit. But out of those three, I think he's the most likely. Uh, Zaha, personally, I don't think is 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 likely at all. Um, the only way that happens for me is if it's if it's a loan with an obligation to buy. But even so, you look at our squad, and that's probably not somewhere we need to focus on in terms of bringing in people. Mm. Mm. Yes, but I, I I am also with you um, as you said earlier about the fact that we need two midfielders, and ideally, if you could bring in Uar and and Party, then it's it's a game changer. It's a total game changer if you could bring in both of them, but. You're looking at an outlay of, of in excess of probably sort of ninety, close to hundred million, if if you were to bring in those two players, and that's just something that we don't look like we're we're able to do at the moment. No, no. Well, the only way to finish this particular segment is, uh, hey, hey, Hussam, ooh, ah, I want to know when you're joining us. Uh, and then I, I don't know if you saw the uh, links with Juve, but actually it, it goes quite nicely with a song. Please don't turn and walk away. Da, da, da. Or join Ramsey at Juve. Da, da, da. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, it's just it, he's. We use that chant for Sol Campbell now. You know, this is. This, it's ready made. It's meant to be. You know, one of the things that's completely gone out the window that I always. Uh, that, that sort of dawned on me the other day that I always enjoy and look out for is your first away day. There's always a new chance. Yeah. Um, and missing that is has been tough. So here at the Boys in Red and White podcast, uh, you know, I'm happy to put my name to Hey Baby, Hassam, Hussam. Well, I'll get that when he signs. Who uh, are, you know, I think it's, it's, it's fantastic. You'll get, you'll, get, you'll get that when he signs, when he does his first interview and the interviewer says, so how do you pronounce your name? And it turns out we've been pronouncing it wrong the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's John. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's actually, it's actually uh, Colin. <laughs> Colin Uai. <laughs> anyway, there you go. What a rendition, by the way. As he gets linked and the, the uh, rumours develop, I'll, I'll add more to those lyrics. But you, you can see the early versions on, on our fantastic Twitter page. Yeah, and uh, before too long, you'll have a three-minute version for us. <laughs> I will perform live with a guitar that I can't play. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think you've been spending too much time at home. <laughs> I've really lost it. <laughs> I think <laughs> nothing else. You can see there what lockdown has done, and when I'm not allowed to get my raw emotion out at the ground, uh, this is what you get: me singing <laughs> songs about players that don't even play for us. Okay, so that leads us finally on to uh, our weekly segment where we look at a kit of years gone by and we each select some goals for that. Now, this this week, we are looking at the 1997-1999 away shirt and we've made the decision to only talk about two goals each. And that is because despite wearing that kit for two years, we actually used it quite sparingly. And a big reason for that is the fact that back then we used to wear an away kit if we needed to wear an away kit. It, it wasn't like today where we wore them a certain amount of times because it helped to promote the kit in the club shop. It was just a case of we had an away kit just in case the other team plays in red. And if they do, we'll wear a different shirt. So we've each picked two this week. And Andre, I'm going to let you go first. Yes, yes. Okay, thank you. Um, well, mine uh, was... Uh, well, we talked about this game on last week's pod, but for different reasons, because of the commentary. Oh, by the way, <laughs> on the commentary quiz part about Carnu, I heard two different types of commentary for that goal today. So you did actually even better than anticipated, while I remember. So more praise is heaped upon you for that. Um, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> but mine was uh, Patrick Vieira in that game, which made it 4-1. As you said, it was slim pickings, but actually this goal was absolutely sublime in terms of a team move. So Anelka uh, has the ball on the right and plays a 1-2 with Vieira. He's about 40 yards out and he sets Anelka away. Middlesbrough have quite a high line. Uh, Anelka runs down the right. Vieira carries on his run from roughly the halfway line. Overmars darts in from the left. Anelka sweeps it across, edge of the area. Overmars looks over. He's got the ball in the middle of the goal, but he sees Vieira standing to his left. One touch from Overmars to Vieira, who sweeps in, sort of Henri-esque finish. And it was just one of those goals that, you know, I think goals at that time weren't sensationalised in the way they are now. It was an absolutely stunning team move. Um, 
great finish. Again, we, we've, we've often talked about Vieira goals, but I recommend anyone goes back and watches that because it is just brilliant. It actually reminded me of a goal we scored against Blackburn. I believe Walcott scored it. Uh, where Fabregas did something similar and he was completely lauded for it. That sort of, you should shoot, but you lay it off to the player in a better position. And that was, again, very much a Wenger ethos. It really was. And it included quite a lot of mentions to a player that I'm going to speak about for my first goal. And that was uh, Nicholas Anelka. Now, Anelka uh, obviously was a player that we grew to hate, but at the time we loved him. And his goal that I'm going to speak about was against West Ham in the FA Cup. And what I loved about the goal was that it was a reverse shot, which is quite a difficult technique, but it's it's surprising how much power Nicholas Anelka managed to get onto this shot. So he played uh, a one-two with someone on the edge of the box and then just takes the ball onto his right foot and from outside the box lashes it into, into the left-hand side of the goal. And it's just one of those goals that it looks like he shouldn't be able to do what he's done because he's got so much power and so much accuracy from the angle that he's at. And I, I love the goal. And watching it on the, uh, the Arsenal season review, Martin Tyler just says, Anelka, oh, that's a great goal. And that was kind of my feelings when watching it because it, it, it's a goal that, like I said, it, it doesn't look like something that, that really should happen. But... That was what Anelka could do. And he actually scored a very similar goal to that um, away at Middlesbrough in that in that 6-1 win that, that you just spoke about, uh, where, again, he reversed his shot back across goal. And that was something which he was very capable of doing and just showed what an inc- incredible talent he really was. Um, and I find it so sad to think that we didn't get more of him at Arsenal than, than we did. Yeah, yeah. And it's often talked about, you know, I know it would have timeline-wise, didn't quite work up, but I'd love to have seen him play next to Henri. Uh, one of un- Anelka's underrated qualities was the power of his shots and the accuracy. Mm. Uh, as you said, that goal perfectly illustrates it, but there are countless examples over the two seasons we had him where he, he scored. Uh, just, just wonderful, pure strikes. Pure is the word uh, those strikes were. Um, lovely. And talking of, um, well, we've had the, the power... Now let's have the precision. So my, my second goal is uh, Dennis Bergkamp at Oakwell. Uh, I'll give lis- listeners five seconds uh, or so to, to realise where Oakwell is. Nice little stadium quiz <laughs> as part of it. And uh, of course, this was against Barnsley in their only season in the Premier League. Uh, the ball breaks to him as a ball into Petit, but it's uh, sort of uh, goes to a 50-50 with one of their midfielders. Uh, breaks to Burkamp, 25 yards out. He's slightly away to the left. He takes two touches to square up the defender. And then he, he uses the defender as a shield and bends it into the far corner. Um, he scores a similar goal, actually, I think in 1996 at Sunderland, where he does the celebration where he puts his hand over his mouth. Uh, this wasn't a particularly memorable goal or particularly memorable game, sort of winning 2-0 at a canter in a title-winning season, but just an absolutely sublime Dennis Bergkamp finish. And and one of those, you really, you know, you take goals like that for granted sometimes. But again, it was the opener in a crucial game. You know, any away game's crucial in the Premier League. But it was just his precision and the way he saw things just so fast. When you watch the game, when, sorry, when you watch this goal back, it's so obvious what he should do. It's, it's so clear. You know, if I if we relate it back to, as we like to, the sort of modern day, Lacazette didn't have the picture in his head when he went through against Alisson twice. 
uh, yesterday. But Bergkamp just did, you know, and he nearly always did. He knew exactly what needed to be done in the right moment. And not only that, he could execute it almost every time. So brilliant, brilliant, Dennis. Yeah, it really was brilliant, Dennis. And he he actually scored a, a very similar goal to that one at home to Barnsley that year as well. So uh, it, it, it did become Dennis Bergkamp's trademark, that finish. And it doesn't matter how many times I've seen him attempt that type of finish. It, it, it never gets boring. Uh, and uh, just a truly wonderful example of the, the talent of Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah. But moving on from one Dutchman to another, it would be foolish of us not to mention Mark Overmars scoring the winning goal at Old Trafford in 1998. And it was a goal that gave Arsenal the momentum to go on and clinch the championship that season. And it was a bit of a scruffy goal because Mark Overmars had run Manchester United ragged that day. Uh, He could have had a hat-trick up to that point. But it wasn't until a flicked header by Nicholas Anelka uh, into the path of uh, Mark Overmars he heads the ball down in front of him and drills the ball left-footed underneath Peter Schmeichel. And it was such a big moment for Arsenal. Uh, and I've I've spoken about this before, but my personal experience of that goal was that my dad was uh, going to collect something from some, some grotty cafe <laughs> in Margate. And we were listening to it on the radio. And as the commentary got to about five minutes to go, when, when Arsenal were 1-0 up, my dad said, right, I, I need to pop in to go, and, to go and pick something up. And then he said to me, don't let them score. Now, I was seven at the time and I took this responsibility quite heavily and decided I cannot let them score. So I listened intensely. I was unbelievably anxious through that throughout the whole process. Finally, the final whistle went and I just couldn't wait for my dad to come back to the car. And eventually he came back and he said to me, did you let them score? And I said, of course I didn't, Dad. And then he was he was so, so happy about that. And it's funny because as I've just been speaking about that, my dad's just rang me. <laughs> so obviously I won't answer that. I'll read him back. Really? You sure you're a loudspeaker? He could be a guest on the podcast. <laughs> first guest. Hello, Mick. <laughs> No, but um, it, it's one of those. It's one of my earliest memories of Arsenal um, because of that relationship with my dad and having that having that moment, and it kind of helped cement like both of our passions for it together. So, as much as it's such a significant goal in Arsenal history in terms of where that led us to and and, and the, the title that season, uh, it's also a moment that I, I cherish as as something I share with my dad in a in a really bizarre and uh, sort of isolated way but it's a it's a nice story nonetheless yeah absolutely no it's a wonderful story it's a wonderful story uh, that goal so evocative but you can picture uh, the man with the uh, curled locks uh, f- uh, fists clenched celebrating knowing that that was it you know it did feel like that that goal at the time was so momentous but the reason I enjoy that man celebrating like that is that that's how I celebrate most goals um, <laughs> that's Crystal Palace at home for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the thing is that it... <laughs> yeah well Crystal Palace you know <laughs> no it, it really is I mean I, I really do celebrate them wildly and it's always nice when I see someone get as uh, uh as emotional as I did I mean it it also makes me smile whenever I go to Old Trafford and I think about those moments because, you know, 
in more recent years uh, there I've celebrated the uh, Nacho Monreal and Danny Welbeck goals in the FA Cup and uh, I'm a staffy head <laughs> where David De Gea threw the ball over his line and of course we had this year well last season now I should say the Abamyang goal that wasn't but when that was given you and I went ballistic and it's sort of going <laughs> we went ballistic then probably standing in the same place that man went ballistic then and it's worlds apart <laughs> Yeah. It's so lovely for us to be able to talk about the moments that really did matter <laughs> because because they feel a long way away right now after yesterday. But yeah, such a. Uh, I think something else about Overmars, I always enjoy that Gary Neville is forced at least once a year on MNF to talk about that goal and how he hated playing Overmars more than anyone else. Uh, and that yeah. goal is often brought up, and seeing his pained expression is always enjoyable. Yes, uh, any time we can bring misery on Gary Neville, it is uh, <laughs> always welcomed. Well, on the Boys in Red and White podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, God. so that, that brings us nicely to the end of the podcast. Thank you very much to everyone for listening as always. Uh, if you would like to see what we're up to on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram by searching for the Boys in Red and White podcast. And we also have a website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. So that leaves me only to say thank you very much to Mr. Andre Grayson for his time as always. Thank you, Mr. Tom Dow. Been, been wonderful. And hopefully the next time we do a podcast will be slightly more upbeat about a result. And hopefully we're back to winning ways. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again shortly for another podcast. <laughs>